A survey of 600 doctors found that 89% said they no longer have adequate influence in the healthcare decisions for their patients. 87% reported that health insurers interfere with their ability to prescribe individualized treatments. The survey also found that because of their frustration, many doctors said they are thinking of leaving the profession and would not recommend a career in medicine to others. And the bottom line is this. Some medical professionals feel angry and frustrated knowing that unqualified insurance company personnel have the power to override their professional judgment and that the long-term health of their patients is being compromised so health plans can achieve short-term cost savings. Are you tired of the high cost of healthcare? Are you overwhelmed trying to navigate a complicated healthcare system? Welcome to Get Savvy, demystifying healthcare weekly podcast where we take complicated healthcare topics and make them simple. Imagine if you could stop feeling paralyzed with fear and frustration and instead be empowered to make smart healthcare decisions for you and your family. Get Savvy with your host, Sandy Kibling, a healthcare professional changing how healthcare knowledge is shared. Hello, and thanks for spending some time with me today as we discuss who is in charge of your care. What we'll discuss today is one, who is in charge of your care. Two, we'll discuss the prior authorization process and step therapy and how it may control the care you receive. Three, we're going to evaluate options. That is straight talk with your provider, appealing your insurance company's decision, and for medications, we'll touch on biosimilars, what they are, and are they the answer to patient equity and access. Let's get started. Who is in charge of your care? Now, the obvious answer is your provider. In most cases, this is true, but what is also true is there are sometimes restrictions with the prior authorization process that your provider is required to follow per health insurance company's guidelines. Health insurance companies may put into place a rigid prior authorization process that requires limits to the procedure or medications that may be used for your condition. What is a prior authorization? Prior authorization is a requirement that a provider, physician, hospital, etc. obtains approval from your health insurance plan before prescribing a specific medication for you or performing a medical procedure. Without this prior approval, your health insurance plan may not pay for your treatment, leaving you responsible for the full bill. Just as a note, prior authorization may also be referred to as pre-certification, predetermination, and pre-approval. Now, while in some cases prior authorizations can be seen as favorable to the health insurance companies, prior authorizations are also used as a checks and balances to make sure that providers, offices, hospitals, etc., are not adding extra services to pad a bill to get higher reimbursement. So prior authorizations aren't necessarily a bad thing, but it is important to understand your rights. So by using a prior authorization, your insurer wants to make sure of the following. One, you really need it. The service or drug you're requesting must be medically necessary. Two, it's recommended for your situation. The service or drug must follow up-to-date recommendations for the medical problem you're dealing with. Three, it makes financial sense. The procedure or drug should be the most economical treatment option available for your condition. For example, drug A, cheaper drug, and drug B, expensive drug, both treat your condition. 
But if your healthcare provider prescribes drug B, the more expensive drug, your health plan may want to know why drug A, the cheaper drug, won't work just as well. If you can show that drug B is a better option, it may be pre-authorized. If there's no medical reason why, why drug B was chosen over the cheaper drug A, your health plan may refuse to authorize its use. This is sometimes referred to as step therapy. Prior authorizations also make sure the service isn't being duplicated. This is a concern when multiple specialists are involved in your care. For example, your lung doctor ordered a chest CT scan, not realizing that just two weeks ago you had a chest CT scan ordered by your primary care doctor. In this case, your insurer won't pre-authorize the second scan until it makes sure that your lung doctor has seen the scan you had two weeks ago and believes an additional scan is necessary. Prior authorization also verifies that a recurring service is actually helping you. For example, if you've been having physical therapy for three months and your doctor is requesting authorization for another three months, is the physical therapy actually helping? If you're making slow, measurable progress, the additional three months may well be authorized. If you're not making any progress at all, or if the PT is actually making you feel worse, your health plan might not authorize any further PT sessions until it speaks with your healthcare provider. Now, what is step therapy? Well, to go more in depth with step therapy, it is a form of prior authorization that requires patients, in this case, to try a preferred drug that is less expensive before the plan will cover a different, more expensive one. The idea is it will reduce your cost, the provider's cost, and the insurance company's cost. And while this may be true, is it the right clinical decision for your situation? To convey this a bit better, I like to provide real examples, and today I am choosing to share my personal health information in hopes that it helps better explain step therapy and perhaps you can apply to your own situation. I was diagnosed with a vein occlusion in my left eye in 2015 and was recommended to see a retina specialist. A vein occlusion is a blockage in an artery or vein in the back of my eye. This impacts the blood flow because the blood clot is blocking the retinal vein. This can cause swelling in the back of the eye and if not treated, may lead to blindness. This typically occurs in individuals later in life, so getting this diagnosis in my late 40s was concerning. The treatment is eye injections every four to eight weeks to keep the swelling down while the blood clot dissipates or I develop new veins around the clot for blood flow. The drug that I was put on initially was Avastin, an oncology drug used for the treatment of colon cancer. Now you may be asking, what the heck, and why would that drug be used for treatment? The answer is, because it is cheaper. It does work in keeping the swelling down, but is it the right drug for me? I would also add that this drug is not FDA approved for my diagnosis. The alternative drugs are, are Ilea and Lucentis, which are more expensive. The question is, if the more expensive drug is the better drug and provides the most optimal outcome, shouldn't my retina specialist make that call? Ideally, yes, but realistically, no. This is where step therapy comes in. Prior to my visit, my provider's office submits a prior authorization request to my insurance company. Even if my retina specialist thinks that the ILEA is better than Avastin, he does not get to choose. The insurance company's requirements state that they must use the most cost-effective drug first, and when it proves ineffective, my provider's office must provide the justification 
which is usually mounds of paperwork and medical records my health insurance company reviews, and then the expensive drug is approved. After five years of being on the lower-cost drug with mediocre results and relapses in terms of frequency of injections, I was finally moved to ILEA. Currently, I have had four injections of ILEA and have had amazing results and have now been moved to observation, meaning the drug is working well and maintaining the swelling, allowing me to go three months out before going in to be evaluated versus going in every four to five weeks for an eye injection. I have since spoken with several retina specialists and all have agreed, given my age and years to preserve eyesight, they would never have recommended Avastin, rather they would have put me on ILEA. My retina specialist and I were never given that option. My insurance plan with prohibitive authorization protocols and their step therapy made the decision for me. In terms of cost, I am on a PPO plan with 80% coverage by insurance and 20% by me. On the lower cost drug per visit, my responsibility was $53. When moved to the higher cost drug, my responsibility was $450. I understand the cost due to the unregulated pharmaceutical industry and the impacts to health insurance companies, my provider, and me. Still, when it comes to my eyesight and my options, I want this to be between my retina specialist and me. It wasn't. So what are your options? If your insurance company denies coverage for your drug, even after you've gone through step therapy, consider an appeal. Now, not every insurance sure allows step therapy appeals, so make sure you contact yours to discuss options. But if you do decide to appeal, one of the best ways to build your case is to get your doctor's input. Ask them about any backup documentation or medical notes that could help you prove your prescription or procedure is medically necessary. If that doesn't work or you need your preferred medication immediately, you still have options. Talk to your doctor about alternative medications that don't require step therapy as most plans cover or most plans offer coverage for one or more alternatives. I know in my situation, I was more passive than I should have been. And I regret this as I love to read and be creative and do the work I do every day. And I would do anything to preserve my eyesight, including paying the $450 for the more expensive drug if it meant my long-term outcome would be more successful. I would also add that I went to the ILEA website and was able to apply for a grant that covered the copay for the drug. Now, when I go in, my responsibility from a copay perspective is $37 versus $450. So make sure and ask your provider's office if they know of any organizations that help with cost. This is what I did, and it was a huge cost savings for me and peace of mind. Now, if your situation is filling a prescription medication and using a covered alternative, is it possible? Ask your doctor about filling a 90-day supply, which can be more affordable than a 30-day supply. Your doctor may also have free samples of the drug you need. If you qualify for patient assistance program or manufacturer discount card, these can also help you save as well. You can search for your drug on goodrx.com and also look at their savings tips, which I find to be pretty helpful. And lastly, don't forget evaluating other options. Cost Plus Drugs is a new company and working hard to provide options to get your medication at a manufacturer's cost, allowing, in some cases, significant discounts. Check out Episode 3 if you would like to learn more. And now let's look at alternative options on the horizon. Biosimilars. So what is a biosimilar? 
It is used to treat complex diseases and autoimmune conditions. To keep it simple, it's a biological product highly similar to a brand drug and has no clinically meaningful differences from an existing FDA-approved product in terms of safety, purity, and potency. For many people, the biggest difference between a brand drug and a biosimilar may be the cost. Patients can receive the same benefits from biosimilars as brand drugs, potentially at less cost to them or their insurance company. Access to biosimilar drugs to treat a complex disease or autoimmune conditions does more than provide patients critical access to life-saving medication. It also helps achieve more equitable health outcomes. Here's an example. Lucentis that I mentioned earlier is used for treatment of macular degeneration, diabetic macular edema, or retinal vein occlusion. A biosimilar BioViz launched on July 1st of 2022 allowing for the product to be commercially available to all patients. BioViz is estimated to offer 40% discount compared to the price of Lucentis. Now, there are some barriers with biosimilars today in terms of access due to provider, patient, and health insurance companies' knowledge, as well as health insurance companies' reimbursements. However, I was recently representing a few retina groups, and we had some great conversations about biosimilars with the insurance companies and are beginning to see more options in terms of approvals and reimbursement to provide for care. Biosimilars have the potential to change healthcare in fundamental ways, providing patients with access to more affordable, equally effective treatments, and offering doctors more treatment options. And as a result, hopefully healthcare systems may be able to funnel the long-term savings into overall improvements for patient care. I am providing a resource that provides an in-depth study if you'd like to read more about biosimilars. In closing, know your options and have a conversation with your provider to discuss those options that are best for you. Knowledge is essential to make sure you understand your rights, you know the right questions to ask, and how to navigate a path that is beneficial for you and your health situation. For our next episode, we will discuss patient health equity, that is providing care that does not vary in quality, because of personal characteristics such as gender, ethnicity, geographic location, and socioeconomic status. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and thank you for sharing with others who may benefit. Until next time, get savvy.